Now, you may be surprised to see two clock faces there. The explanation goes right back to my childhood. At the tender age of eight, from our home just south of London, I was sent away to boarding school in the wilds of Shropshire, which is about 200 or more miles away. It was a long, long journey, and it all began at Paddington Station on the 11.10 train. Fancy going away as an eight-year-old to learn Latin and Greek. It does have the advantage that you know the origin of the word curate, one who takes care from the Latin word cura, and asylum that comes rather later in the Greek course, but a place of refuge. Very interesting word. It goes from Greek to Latin and hence to English. It hasn't changed at all. Well, there we go. There are some advantages of learning Latin and Greek. Uh, but now, the other clock, 8.18, now that is the return train from the tiny little village station of Bass Church, way out in the depths of Shropshire. I don't even know if the station exists nowadays. I expect Dr. Beeching had something to say about it and closed it, but never mind, because it was one of those stations where there was a long stretch of line into the distance, into the sort of mist of, well, it was... December, really, getting ready for the Christmas holidays. A sense of expectation. Can you hear anything? Yes, the distant train, it comes. And that eagerness to get home for the Christmas holidays. And that's what Advent is all about. Getting ready. Eager expectation. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Quoted in Mark chapter 1, even though it's originally from Isaiah 40. And uh, in Isaiah 40, two chapters before the actual chapter that Clive read to us, but we'll refer to chapter 40 and chapter 42, we hear about the end of exile. You may or may not have all these dates at your fingertips. Uh, in 605, the first lot of Jews were deported to Babylon. A few more in uh, 597, and then a very large number in 587. The prophet Daniel was among those who went in that first group, going off to captivity in Babylon. And Jeremiah and Ezekiel, among others, were very much around, commenting on what was going on, and saying it was all because the nation had sinned and turned away from God. But then we leap forward about 50 years to 539, when the Persian king Cyrus had conquered Babylon and commanded that all the captives should be allowed to go home and exiles were free to return. God had wonderfully arranged it so that there would be a, a king who would enable the Jews to return to their own land. How wonderful! Because Babylon is 500 or more miles east of Jerusalem across a desert, so you can't even get there as the crow flies. You have to go a long way round to the north. But for the Jews, this was a joyful time, a return to Jerusalem, God returning to Zion, leading his flock like a shepherd. And it meant a new start, sins forgiven, a return to the promised land, and a return to a right relationship with God. They had indeed been far away, in a foreign land, cut off by that desert. And this is the verse that Mark puts right at the start of his gospel. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. This is the wonderful thing about prophecy. It applies not only in 539 BC to the exiles coming back from Babylon. 
It applies to first century AD as well, when Jesus was about to appear on the scene. Prepare the way for the Messiah. It applies to us too, when Jesus knocks at the door of our lives here in the 21st century. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make a home for him. There's a very old hymn, prepare we in our hearts a home where such a mighty guest may come. And we need to prepare the way for the Lord right now in the 21st century. And then there will be a time when the second coming takes place, when Jesus comes again. Many people in the world aren't aware, but there will be a second coming. It may be later today. It may be in a thousand years' time. No one knows except the Father himself. But Jesus will come again. It will be like the flash of lightning from the east to the west, the whole sky lighting up, and every knee shall bow, some in joy, some in terror, because he will come again. So that's prophecy for you. It applies in lots of different times and seasons and situations. One verse spoken way back in about 500-ish BC and still relevant today. Prepare the way for the Lord. So in the rest of chapter 1 of Mark, we get John the Baptist coming saying, prepare the way for the Lord, repent and believe the good news. And Jesus comes and says, repent and believe the good news. They are singing from the same hymn sheet, as it were. They're giving the same message. Repent, meaning turn round, change, go back. You've been going the wrong way. And lots of people were listening to John the Baptist saying, you need to confess your sins and be baptized. Baptism is a picture of washing. It's a Greek word, baptizo. I dip, basically. You dip in water and you come out clean, a new person. It's a wonderful symbol of inner cleanliness. So here in Mark's gospel, just like in 539 BC, there's a new start with sins forgiven, a restored relationship with God after wandering in that foreign land, a spiritual foreign land as it were, a metaphorical desert, but a desert nonetheless because if we try to live our lives away from God, we are indeed in a wilderness, a desert, a foreign land. And how do we know that the first century Jews felt a sort of eagerness to hear this message and respond to it? Well, look at the way they all streamed out from Jerusalem. It says all the people of the countryside and all the people in Jerusalem. Sometimes the Bible uses the word all when it really means a very large number. You can't press that word too hard in the Greek. But lots and lots of people were streaming out to hear John the Baptist and later they streamed out to hear Jesus. So, Jesus the Messiah, God's anointed one, whose first coming was prophesied in the Old Testament and especially in Isaiah. So let's look at chapter 42 where it starts off with my servant. Who is my servant in Isaiah? Could it be Isaiah himself? Here is my servant, the prophet. It could be or some other Jewish leader? Or could it be the whole nation, because the whole nation was supposed to be a light to lighten the Gentiles? Or is it Jesus? 
or maybe it's a picture that applies to all four of them, my servant. Because some of the attributes listed here could apply to any of these four groups of people or individuals. My chosen one, a light to the Gentiles, that could be the nation. Opening the eyes of the blind, freeing captives, releasing the people in darkness. Those are very much things that Jesus did, aren't they, in the Gospels. So as it's Advent and as we are fast approaching Christmas, let's focus on these particular attributes as they apply to Jesus, the Messiah. Because he was the one who opened eyes, who freed captives, who released those in darkness. And he still does. Which leads us on to a question. Where am I right now? Now it may be that I responded to God's call a long time ago. How is my relationship with God now? Last week we heard about the danger of drifting. Have I drifted away from God a bit? Or if I am conscious that I'm walking closely with the Lord, what about my family? Where are they? What about my friends, my neighbors? Where do they stand? Have they ever responded to God's call? These are very important questions. Why do people get so far away from God? And there are various possible reasons. Maybe they're just blind. Maybe we are blind. Ignoring historical evidence. There's much evidence that Jesus existed, that he did teach, that he did do miracles, that he rose from the dead after dying the most agonizing death on the cross. Some people have said that the crucifixion is the most hideous and ghastly method of execution ever invented. But these are people who are blind to all these things. They don't believe in absolute truth. They believe in the sort of wishy-washy moral relativism that is so much a, a part of our times now. Is there a God of absolute truth? They don't think so. Many people are captive. Captive to alcohol maybe. Slaves to gluttony. Or gambling. How sad it is that some people spend so much money that they can't possibly afford on gambling and they can't help it. Or the occult, evil spirits that draw us in and won't let us go. Or social media, which has come so much to the fore lately, and what's, which has come so much to the fore lately, and what sad cases we hear of, of people who have been victims of social media and peer pressure. Or else, people are just in darkness. The darkness of depression, maybe seeing no light at the end of the tunnel. Are these phrases that apply to you or apply to people you know, close to you? Are our lives in a mess? Are we feeling that we haven't made a great success of life so far? Things just don't seem to go as I wanted them to go. Why is it? Are we feeling guilty? Ashamed? of all the wrong things we've done, the wrong things we've said. Sin, it's a short word with I in the middle. I am the center of my universe. Those who think like that have no room for God at the center of their lives. Are we cut off from God? 
When we read the Bible, does it seem very dull and impossible to make sense of? Do our prayers hit the ceiling? Maybe all these things happen because we've never had an encounter with the Messiah. We've never met Jesus. We've never heard him knocking at the door of our lives and opened that door. How can we prepare the way for the Lord? Now there's a wonderful carol which will help us here, O little town of Bethlehem, and here is the last verse, which is actually a prayer. I should um, preface this by saying uh, a warning, you know, like they have on cigarette packets. The cigarette pa packets can, well not the packets, the cigarettes inside can seriously damage your health. This carol could seriously change your life. So beware. Do not pray this prayer unless you are ready for the consequences. But it is a prayer. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Yes, he was a child a long time ago. But let's bring it right up to date. Jesus is here now. He's still alive. He's not gone away. He rose from the dead in about 30 AD and he's still around. Active in the world ever since. So don't just look leave him in a cradle in Bethlehem, but let's bring him into our lives right now. Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Yes, the only way we can have a relationship with God is by confessing our sin first. Be born in us today. Not just be born in a stable long ago, but come right into our lives now. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, there's a sort of distant sound of music. Actually, it's not so distant. When you go into the shops and they play endless carols, so tedious, and it sort of wafts over us and we take no notice of it really. It's just there in the back of our minds. But we hear that vaguely in the distance. What really needs to happen is, oh, come to us, abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. He comes into our hearts if we will let him. He comes to be God with us. So if we act on this verse, we may or may not feel an instant sense of joy, freedom and release. But whatever our feelings, it's the facts that matter. The fact is, he will come in when we ask. And we'll come to know the Saviour who forgives and rescues us. The Shepherd who cares. And the Saviour who opens the gate of heaven.